0: Coaches, are you looking for a way to level up and win more? Then you should check out GMS Plus, your on-demand source for the best, most proven volleyball courses, drills, stats, videos, tips, and much more. You can learn from the game's greats, such as John Spraw, Mike Wall, Heather Olmsted, Keegan Cook, and Courtney Thompson. Whether you're trying to win a state championship or an Olympic gold medal, GMS Plus will get you there. You can get 20% off an annual subscription by going to goldmedalsquare.com C-Y-B-O. entering the coupon code CYBO. That's goldmiddlesquared.com slash CYBO. Just a heads up, this episode does use some video examples, so if you're listening and feel lost, check out the video in the show notes. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your host, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen.
1: We're excited to welcome to the show the coordinator of skill acquisition with Pittsburgh Pirates and the manager for the Dutch Baseball Federation, Martijn Nijhoff. Martijn, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: How did I do on the pronunciation? it was pretty good you can for be an honest american. yeah for an american that's that's fair i'll take that and the bar the yeah. bar's is pretty low for an americans so. yeah
2: <laughs> no i i actually uh a lot of americans uh pronounce my name pretty uh pretty accurate so really? it's, uh,
1: yeah well give me the or they, maybe they practice a lot i don't know yeah yeah you're world famous here <laughs> I know uh, you, We were just talking before we recorded that you had a, a holiday uh, four weeks on the East Coast, and I was thinking for our our American um, mindset, you know, we take like a week holiday, and that's a long time. It Seems like the Dutch are, and Europeans are so much better at like spending time away. Um, you know, spending more time. It seems like, and maybe that's the reason why Dutch people are so happy. I don't, I don't know. Is that uh? Is that that's pretty common though? You guys have like long holidays. you able to do that.
2: Uh, especially in the summer, it's, uh, um, I cannot talk to my wife, uh, um, going on a holiday for less than uh, two and a half weeks in the summer. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's very common to go on a holiday for three, three and a half weeks in the summer. Uh, a lot of people just pack up their gear and, and with a tent and they go to the south of France or Spain or, or Italy, um which we did a lot when the kids were young. And um, now we are fortunate enough to con- travel more of the world. Um, I have a relationship with uh, the U.S., of course. So well, yeah, last year we did the East Coast, or oh, the West Coast, and now we did the East Coast. And yeah, it's a phenomenal country, huh? Really okay. like it.
1: Yeah, it's cool, but I think I, I'd take the Netherlands. That's a cool country. I love that. Yeah, uh, I,
2: I, yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> but there's uh, so many um great spots in the world huh? and i think uh, exploring yeah. the world will uh, makes everything richer for yourself yeah
1: no i agree yeah but that's really cool you guys get to do that and uh it's cool that you've gotten to, to see the u.s a little bit um and uh i know you guys got to go down to you said pirate city right with uh and that's that's what you've been working with uh, that organization for a while that's how i learned about you through bernie from bernie holiday andy bass and you've been working with them three four years now is that right
2: no, it's already. Uh, I always take it three, but it's actually five or six years. Uh, oh, wow. now. yeah,
1: time flies. Yeah. That's cool. It does. And that's how I've. I've. I mean, in other ways, you've you've been on Rob Gray's podcast, and um, and and through Andy Bass and through the Pirates, have have uh, gotten to learn learn from you, and we've gotten to connect a couple times. But one of the things I've heard you talk about is this idea of a a movement analysis, which isn't as fun about talking about the South of France and vacation, but hopefully we can uh we can take you into a, into this stuff um i know it's something you guys do so you do it with your dutch national team um and you study the film and you figure out the movement for each player uh can you, you kind of just take us through some of that process and and how you go about doing it
2: Yeah. so um it's actually uh to start it up it's uh, a a, a could be a long process because you have to figure out what's going on in, let's say a swing or a pitch in baseball, or let's say a strike in volleyball. And then, um, I mean, even like how, how do the muscles work? So it's not only what you see from the outside, but it, it's almost, um, thinking about what goes on underneath in the body and what you want to see and what actually is happening. Um, and, In that movement analysis, we're looking for stability. The whole movement goes from stable point to stable point, which we call attractors. And Mm -hmm. in between there is some variation, which we call fluctuations. But these stable points, these stability points, these attractors, they they show up in really good movement. Uh, So if you look at the, the top 10 of the best baseball hitters or the best baseball pitchers, they all have these forms of stability. And then the question becomes: Okay, uh, how does this guy that we are working here with right now? How does he go to these st- stable points? And um, then we we grade that through the through the video. And then um, if so, everybody has different parts that are stable or not stable. That's why we do a individual analysis and not a, a global one. so we, we we train everybody the same way. Now we try to attack uh, the points that this person needs to um, uh, attack to get it better. And mm-hmm. then we do this every six weeks to eight weeks. Um and then we discuss this with the player. Um, so it, it it might look like a very, uh, intensive work, but actually, you can go to a analysis once you did it a couple done, have done it a couple times. You can with, within 10, 15 minutes, maybe 20, um, and then this is the 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 training plan comes out of this for the player. Mm-hmm. So we let's say we have six uh, skill practices or five a week. Then we create situations, but then the guy that has to work on his front foot stability, he can work in these situations on his front foot stability. Uh, Another guy that maybe needs more to work on his optimum length of the core because it transports the energy, uh, he can do that too within these situations. So it it might look like there's a lot of stuff going on, but these players, they know because we have an extensive talk with them to set their goals for the next six to eight weeks uh, so they can be part of their own um, learning. Uh, They can have ownership of their learning and they know why they do it uh, to some extent. Um, And then we just walk there and we just give them feedback or we help them, Uh, but they all are on their own program. Yeah, so we start with a movement analysis Then we talk to the player and we talk about the personal development plan and what they need to work on in the next eight weeks. And then we start doing
0: it. That sounds uh, pretty different than some of the training I've been around, which takes more of the global approach, I guess, where like the coach already knows the demands for each position. And then it's a matter of teaching, you know, a few keys or fundamentals to the player, I guess. Uh, What do you see as the more, can we go into more of the advantages of having the individual programs?
2: Yeah, I think if if somebody has a really good front foot stability, he doesn't need to work on it anymore. Hmm. And and doesn't mean that uh, we don't do general stuff. So let's say out of those six practices, we have one or two that everything comes 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 by. But we definitely give them time to actually work on the stuff that they really need to work on, uh, because then we think the the the. Um, yeah, everybody is on on their own pace of their development and everybody has different stuff that they need to work on. And, and I think we as coaches should give them the opportunity to work on exactly that and, and not just, okay, everybody has to do the same program and then we hope everybody gets better. Why not attack certain problems?
1: Yeah, I can imagine the motivation must go way up for the player when it feels specific to them versus I'm just... A cog in the wheel i'm just going to do the same thing everyone else is doing so makes and and
2: especially when you come back to it six weeks later or eight weeks later when you do the analysis again and they say hey we worked on this and it really got better yeah um, let's see what the next point is you need to work on or hey we worked on this but it's not getting better um yeah. why is that.
1: that yeah yeah how, how do you measure that
2: yeah, so you measure, of course, you have hard data output, let's say uh, uh, how hard somebody hits or how hard somebody throws or the, the spin rate, the horizontal and the v- vertical movement. Right. Um, but also just the film itself. Like if somebody collapses to his front leg and now he's not because he stiffens up, you can obviously really see that.
1: Do you ever see someone who maybe the data improves, like the spin rate, Gets better but the attractor on video looks like less stable there's probably wouldn't be a good attractor if so <laughs> uh
2: no um it it does happen but it doesn't get less stable it, it doesn't get better or something but right. it does go harder that that happens too right uh which means a lot of times you say hey that's interesting we worked on some stuff there's stuff being improved, but not exactly what we wanted. But so there's more in the tank, even um, so that's not a bad thing per se. Okay.
1: And what about um I'm sure there's also individual considerations for maybe how many problems for each player to have. Like some people can take in more. I don't know, I could take on four different problems and others one. I don't know if you found like a general sense or do you take that specific as well and maybe you could take us into some of those details um
2: so first of all i think if somebody needs to work on on a thing like working on one thing instead of three things at the same time like we all know that you can have attention for one thing really Mm -hmm. and then so giving somebody feedback like three or four cues i would not do that right because it just blurs the mind and and okay i'm working on this and i give somebody feedback okay you need to work on let's say again uh Um, core strength uh, and the hip needs to come through so there's elastic return when you have the kinetic chain um, and you do stuff for that and of course he's trying so the first time he does it it's not going to be perfect because he's figuring out how to do it because he's he's focusing in on that Mm -hmm. it might take 10, 20, 30, 40 tries before he gets it and a lot of times there's other errors occurring because he's doing something new. If you mm-hmm. get off of what you are focusing in on and give him another, yeah, now your front leg is not doing or you're, you dropped your arm, then the, the, you need to give him time to figure it out. Um, and what we use a lot is bandwidth feedback. Okay, we, we accept errors within a, a bandwidth, but mm-hmm. if it goes over, when it becomes really, crazy or dangerous then we say oh stop but when he stays within uh, that bandwidth we just let him let him figure it out Um, um because you know instant feedback every time he does a try just just makes the player probably go like oh now i do this wrong now i do that wrong now i have to do this while we're actually focusing in on on one little theme of the movement analysis yeah um now if somebody does like three attractors wrong then you have to find out what the gang leader is um let's say okay let's find out what is the most important one if we make that one better then probably a lot of a lot of stuff will get better as well and there's no with that i guess <laughs> yeah yeah um sometimes we start at the end of the movement like in, when when it becomes very stable that endpoint and the body needs to uh, finds out a way to get there uh, sometimes it's the beginning of the movement because when he starts the wrong way then it's like a, a domino effect um mm. okay. and even sometimes it's it's the core because the, the the transport of energy from the from the lower body to the upper body if it goes wrong there um then he's just throwing with his arm which we do not want either so it's it's hard to say oh it's this or it's that it's depending on where somebody is in his development um and how stable certain parts are and what is what is wrong and sometimes we just start with this and then after a week or two we say well it's not working let's let's switch so of course time in between, as well, to to change. If somebody has multiple things that he needs to work on,
1: right? You you mentioned that idea of of instant feedback, which I know isn't something that you guys you guys do. And I know you know in your culture and your your program, you guys have been doing this for a while. But as I've been around more American coaches who've been trying to impl- you know uh, explore using this more ecological framework they've they've said, you know, my, my players want more feedback. They want this instant feedback. Is there any things you found to, I guess, help change that culture and help change their mindset around that?
2: Yeah, well, so it, it depends on, uh, first of all, it depends on the movement. If it's a where in the movement can you give instant feedback and where should you not give as much feedback, and when a movement goes really fast, then it's hard for the for the the mind to change up. But if you think about the start of a movement, then there's more instant feedback possible. So it depends on on the movement and how fast it goes or how slow it goes. The slower it goes, the more feedback you can give. The more I can do with it. The faster it goes, the less feedback I can handle. Uh, I just have to experience it. So you have to create uh, multiple um, learning experience, let's say. But before we start, we always give a presentation to the players, like kind of how, how it works and what they're used to and what they think they they want to hear uh, because they can do with it. But then in also the reality of, of that it's almost impossible to handle that feedback. So we do give them um, some information beforehand so they know why we train the way we train. And then we just say, hey, this is just one big uh, um, playing field. And uh, you have just to learn how to move uh, uh, to, to learn how to solve movement problems. Mm. And the better you are getting in solving movement problems, the better you will get in movement, mm. and then it opens up a um, a lot of creativity for the player and a lot of variation. Which they, when once they do this for two or three weeks, they really like it and love it. But then also sometimes they say, oh, again, I just want to hit the ball." right down the middle (laughs) no variation because that feels good yeah no and and a good feeling of a player versus what they need um doesn't match a lot of times
1: (laughs) yeah good feeling they want to get better right right i was gonna say good feeling means you're not learning you're doing what you're already good at so that's that's usually not a good sign right i mean um, yeah yeah and
2: then, but also, like, let's say we're training to get better or we're we training to maintain or we're we training to prepare. Like, those are mm-hmm. different things as well. Like, maybe they need some some mindless repetition just before they start a game because that gives them a lot of confidence. Yes, you can do that. But if that is your training philosophy to make players better, then I don't think it, that's the good the way to go. Uh, but there is time and place for those different um, strategies.
1: Yeah. And what about, so you said kind of communicating to the whole group, the, uh, the idea of, you know, how you're going to implement the, the plan. What about individually when you give each person their movement analysis? It feels like it'd be easy to get like overwhelm them with anatomy and all the attractors. Like, I guess what what sort of language do you use and how do you simplify it or do you keep it complex
2: uh no, no no we try not we we just say hey like uh okay because you go through your back leg your direction is that way and you need to throw that way do you think that is very efficient no okay when you land with your front foot and you collapse totally through it do you think you can transport energy no okay so it's it's I think a lot of the times they um, or we as coaches, um, underestimate the level of of what the players are able to handle. And I think a lot of times they are because the internet is everywhere and they go they go online and they see different trainings and different,, um, uh, commercial uh training facilities and, and and what they're all doing and so they they know a lot actually i think mm. um so i just i think you need to inform them and i think especially at the age when they turn to like 18 19 20 they should be a part of what we're what we're doing because it's their development and they they know a lot yeah um yeah so i i, I think that's and and some people just say okay i just give me i just want to do it and all of a lot of players very analytical and he wants to get more information um which is fine um, it's just a matter of when you do the movement you have to focus on what you're trying what your goal is what you try to hit and not think about how you do it
1: right right yeah i want to get into that more as we go but staying on um the specific movement analysis i was hoping you could take us through maybe an example like a more specific whether it's with a a pitcher or i know you did the the volleyball analysis uh you guys call it a smash which i think is way better we call it a spike or an attack i like the smash i think that's a way better um yeah, volleyball
2: smash yeah <laughs> yeah i
1: think that's way better we say spikes i don't, I don't know um or attack but uh, if you could take us through maybe yeah just how you would and just a specific example of like how you do an analysis and and like i said it could just be a baseball pitcher if if you're up for it
2: so let's look at uh, this player this is from from one view and this is actually what i do with my uh with my uh, with the class in uh, college i give them a bunch of examples and i they have to uh do a movement analysis and then we we uh, discuss it
1: And i i have i don't know um you know baseball that well but can I take a stab at what I see? <laughs> yeah, how, please. I, I probably can't do it from an attractor framework. Um, I mean, it seems like he has he has front foot stability, but he has got like a really high elbow. Like his elbow, like it, he's not able to get as much rotation because he's. It looks like he's yeah, yeah he's he's above his shoulder right. I don't know what that attractor would be, but yeah. Okay. What I missed. uh
2: Kind of cool. So what we want is we want we want his hip to go straight to the to the to the catcher. So he he loads in his back hip and he uses that to go forward. So what we want is actually to have like a little hinge in the back hip.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Now if you look at what he does. Can I, oh no, wait. Ah, sorry. <laughs> always goes like this again what you see is that he he goes. it cut off not. no
1: it cut off for a second do it one more time
2: is it not a still a still movement now
1: uh, it paused, at least for me.
2: Yeah, it paused. Yeah, you yeah, see this know. pause?
1: Yeah, his leg straight. Got it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So you see, uh, he's not hinging in his back leg or his back hip, but he collapses through his knee. He bends in his knee. Yeah. So you see this end here? Yeah. So actually, he's going this direction instead of that direction Uh, i see so he collapses his back knee instead of loading in the back hip so his load is a big concern Uh and now what happens is when he lands his knee is here Uh and his foot is there and look at his knee now so it went from here all the way to there so is that's not good front leg stability. Mm. And because it because so because he goes to his back leg or back knee, he goes in the wrong direction, then he puts his foot with his knee all the way here, but he is in rotation. So his knee travels from here to here while it needs to be super stable. Mm. And that's why he tilts his upper body and mm-hmm. then you see that he cannot hold his optimum length in his core mm-hmm. so he's not transferring energy um efficient up the chain and and you see a lot of head movement so a still head is also a part of yeah. a movement yeah. analysis so it might look good but when you zoom in there's a lot of stuff going on that is not good yeah and then the question becomes okay where do you start Right. And with him, you, we, we really started with the, the load And you see this this collapsing through the back knee Here. You see that it's stability, but it's passive stability. It's just using gravity instead of active stability as in you, you use the muscles in the, in the hip to, to move um when you are young you're probably not uh, coordinated enough to to do that hip hinge and you just start the movement by collapsing through your back knee and then right. when you do that 10 million times it becomes a, a pattern of course and then it becomes really hard to change when you're older yeah uh, so that's why it's very important to have good coaching at a younger age as well of course.
1: Yeah. Do, do you think a more stable hip hinge would help with that lean? Like without that effect? Like that, yeah. that's what sets everything off. So it would yeah. fix some of the other. I see.
2: Yeah. So he starts the wrong way and it becomes a domino effect. When you Because you collapse through your back knee, your weight has been going in the wrong direction. And then you really have to go around your front leg which means your your front leg has to give in and has to move because your body is coming through. Mm-hmm. And then if you look at the really good ones, like uh, the, the the top pitcher for the Yankees. Um,
1: the best I could do is Mariano, Mariano Rivera. That's where well, I go. He, he,
2: too, he does it really well. Okay, uh, They're just going whoop, straight. They load in their back leg or in their back hip. They go... They go kind of straight within a, a, a bandwidth. You can go a little bit to the right and you mm-hmm. see a lot of pitches do that too. Uh, but they load in their back hip to give them direction. And the more the flexible the hips are, the more I can get away with going a little bit to the right when I go to, to home plate. But mm-hmm. this is too much. I see and this. Then, and it starts because collapsing through his back, uh, back knee.
1: I see with volleyball players, it's pretty common to have that, you know, it's easier to notice like the end of the movement. If you're a novice with this stuff, like you, you're seeing all the details, but I see a lot of volleyball players who finish with a a lean, like they'll hit, you know, leaning to their left to be able to hit to their right. Um, but it sounds like that might come from more of, and the hard part of volleyball is we're in the air and we're, there's the timing aspects. Um,
2: and in the air, it works, um, so you see here, it's it's really clear then, okay, your are um, let me go here. So when you are applying force to the ground, oh, here we go again. When you're applying force to the ground, um, so first, ah, your hip, your hip, you plant your foot, your hip comes through, your your upper body is still back. You can see me, right or not? Yeah, yeah, I'll right just. Yeah, I can see. Um, the, um, so you plant your foot, the hip comes first, my upper body is still back, it creates tension in my, in my uh, core. And mm-hmm. then, as a whip like boom, the, the upper body comes over it. But when I'm in the air, I do not have g- grip on the ground. Of course. Right. So how do I create that tension uh, um, in the core when I'm in the air? Yeah, you tell me. And and that is uh, um, by by pushing your your right hip forward and your upper body backwards. And then when I when I spike or smash, um, I bring my my left hip forward while i bring my right shoulder forward so it's like a corkscrew because i'm in the air and when i'm on the ground it's on the ground hip comes first upper body stays back and then my right hip comes over so it's actually the opposite mm. of how it works on the ground and mm-hmm. then you see and there you see that the core is kind of and the hips are the gang leader in transporting energy that needs to work the right way and then you can add uh, velocity to the spike. Hmm. And I think because I looked a little bit into it, of yeah. course, the position of, of where the ball has been and where you are at and where the defenders are blocking,
0: right. uh,
2: you need to have more options in the air to, to hit it in different directions. So I think it's a very complicated
1: um, yeah. movement. Right. Right. So, um there's more options. I mean, pitching, you can kind of decide the pitch you're going to throw, whereas a attacker, you don't really know until you see what sort of defense, what sort of set you get. Um, so then, but it sounds like you would, you would start in general looking at the hips, like that'd be the first place to look. Uh, the hip for, and the
2: core and how how those work. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it's it's really easy to be drawn to the like where the you know the load like how are they loading their their shoulder and i think we get drawn to that part of it a lot i don't think a lot of people look at the core and the hips first so
2: uh, yes and and i i think uh, with the with the arm so we we know is that like when the arm is on shoulder height or a little below i can uh, safely um, um transport energy and a lot of times, because when we jump, we use our arms to get up. Yeah. And I've seen a lot in volleyball. And my kids volleyball too, by the way. Oh, cool. When they volleyball, they bring their arms up, and their arm stays up, and the, so the path of acceleration is is shorter, right? Than and less safe than when right. it's here. Yeah. And you see with these great spikers. I saw a guy from France that is really good. When he goes up, and then boom, he's here. Before yeah. he before he spikes. I think that's a crucial part too in, in in being able to spike really hard.
1: Yeah. Some of those guys have so much more time in the air to do that. Where, you know, yeah. you're talking about a, a female athlete, a uh, younger athlete, there's not as much time to do, you know, all this this movement because you're not in the air as long. It seems like yeah. that's the so, so how do we help them do it?
2: To to so the question becomes, do you need to use all that uh, all those movements to jump high yeah. when you don't have time?
1: Right. So you would modify some and of those I, movements.
2: Yeah. Well, so I think uh, it's called rate of force development. Like uh, you can use a counter movement to start the movement. This you can, uh, um, but also you can use uh, uh, co-contractions, uh, pre-tension um, before you jump
1: mm-hmm.
2: and, and pre-tension it means a, a whole region is already um, uh, contracting, mm-hmm. which means it can immediately uh, move. Um, so ankle stiffness or hip stiffness uh, for in jumping eh? you see the faster somebody runs up, oh no that's let's use a different example. When I'm underneath when I'm playing basketball and I'm underneath the the, 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 the ring yeah. and I'm I'm catching a, a rebound. I can go all the way down and to go up. but when I do a um, when I, I move faster, I'm doing a layup. When somebody jumps, he's almost, Jumping with a fully extended leg,
1: hmm.
2: and both are jumping. Yeah. And it's because he he doesn't have a lot enough time, so he jumps way more from elasticity, and the other guy jumps a lot more from um, counter movements. Right. Um, when you do not have time, it's very smart to uh, jump from co contractions from that total stiffness than, than using counter movement. So mm. if that is the way to go, then what exercises will you do in the gym? Because if I'm using my, uh, I'm training my muscles like a pump, but in reality, I need to use the muscles uh, in, in the game uh, fr- from pretension. Yeah, then I'm tra- I'm training that uh, that leg for jumping, uh, uh, the counter way of how it's being used in 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 the game. If mm-hmm. I do that in the gym, so, and this is a big thing that we do is out of that movement analysis, it also gives a lot of information for our strength and conditioning department how to train certain parts of the body. Um, so there's a lot of ankle stiffness, there's a lot of hip stiffness, there's a lot of co-contractions in the, in the core, so it, it means it's not lifting heavily and slowly big weights, um, but it's way more uh, reactive.